welcome to Church Experience Online. We're so happy you joined us today. As you watch this teaching video, if you have any questions or need help getting connected, please don't hesitate to reach out by phone or email. Also, our website is the best place to go if you would like to access helpful growth step resources, join a serving team, connect in a life group, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially by giving online. At the end of this teaching video, you'll hear one of our Church Experience Worship original songs, and we hope that gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned. Thanks again for joining us at Church Experience Online. If you strengthen your physical core, it impacts your whole body. If you strengthen your spiritual core, it'll affect your whole life. Good morning, church experience. What an awesome day it is. I tell you what, we've been wrapping up this series on core work, and my goodness, I got to tell you, the Lord has been moving tremendously. I mean, I'm hearing different stories of, of people that are really digging deep and taking it serious, their time with God. You know, one of the, the biggest advice that I've ever given someone as a parent is being there said, uh, Pastor Greg, this is, this is my first child. What is your advice? What can I do to be an effective parent? I say, be there. There's nothing more important than being there. Your presence is everything. And as your child spends time with you, they begin to act like you and reflect you. So as we've been diving in this core work, it's, it's important for us to understand that we need to spend time with God. And we've been blessed by Pastor Brandon just, just leading us in this, in this 31-day challenge to improve quality, increased consistency, deepened authenticity. With these 31 days, as we're plowing through, Hasn't it been amazing how God has been moving? And those of you that are new, that are, are this is your first week, and you're like, hey, hey, uh, uh, Greg, I, I don't know what you're talking about. So, so for, for over the last several weeks, we've been talking about spending time with God. We've been talking about spiritual fitness to work out our core. Because, you know, you work out your core physically, that's how you become fit. When you work out your core spiritually, it prepares you for all of your life. So the most important work, the most important fitness is the work that you do spiritually. So we've been working on this, this core work spiritually. And what an incredible journey it's been. And now the question is, what do we do now? What's next? What's the next step? How do we continue with this momentum that we've been given? The answer is simple. I stole it from Nike. Just do it. Just do it. The next step is just doing it. Application leads to transformation. Apply these steps continuously as we grow 
in the knowledge, in the wisdom, in the intimacy with God. Application leads to transformation. When we become Christians, we're given all that we need pertaining to life and godliness. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Peter tells us, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. The most important resource that we need is Jesus. And as we spend time with Jesus, as we allow him to transform our lives, the better things will be. Now, I'm not saying that that trouble is going to stop. Trouble will arise. In fact, that's a promise. But we will be well equipped for when things arrive in our lives. So we got to understand that the biggest thing we can do as we work out our core work is to obey. To obey. You have to obey God. That is the mark of true personal growth in God. Obedience. Obedience. Because that application allows us to transform our lives in the image of Christ himself. I'm reminded of a time when I was growing up um, back in South Carolina. You know, I was a spoiled brat. Like, you know, like, <laughs> whatever I wanted, I got. And if I didn't get it, I'd whine enough until my, my, my dad would cave in and give it to me. Well privileged. You know, I grew up in a, a gated community. I was sheltered from, you know, certain things in, in life. And, and, and ironically, my, my mom, when she was conceived with me, she said that I was, I was called to preach. And I was raised accordingly. I remember being three or four years old and going to revivals three or four times out of a week and me getting up and giving my testimony. Five, six years old. I'd like to thank God for waking me up this morning, you know. <laughs> I mean, amazing. And as life progressed, I began to, to just learn the word of God, learn the, the churchy words, learn the behavior to be acceptable. The problem is it wasn't authentic. The problem is, is that it was almost like I was a robot, almost as if I just learned how to get by. I pretended well enough that when you saw me on the outside, you'd say, you know what, that Greg guy is a spiritual person. But as you dove inside of me, you would see a hot mess. And I'm inclined to think that many of us are about that way. We know what to look, how to look good on the outside. We know how to put on that persona on our outer shell. And as I progressed through life, being raised by two communicators, my dad being a politician and, and my mom being an evangelist, they were very rigorous on us when it came to communication and education. So you add the intellect into it, and my goodness, was I cocky. And I was very resentful because I grew up affluent. And at the mid-age, probably about 12 years old, I wanted to find out what it meant to be black. What it meant to be black, I I'm serious. 
because I didn't know all my friends, all my neighbors, everything that I knew, even at school and on TV, was a lot of white people. I was raised in a higher middle class environment. That's, that's all I knew. And my cousins, my blood-related family, grew up differently. They grew up impoverished. Some of them went, went days without meals. Broken homes, parents not there. I didn't experience that. Mom and dad were married for 30 years. And so when I got around them, they would call me names. Call me Cracker. Call me White Boy. Choir Boy. And I began to let them shape my identity. So at the age of 12, I just started diving into everything unlawful you can think of. As I progressed through middle school and high school, I'm getting straight A's in class and also getting straight A's in the streets. I began to sell drugs. I joined a gang. And being in a prominent neighborhood and hanging out in, in rough neighborhoods, it, it, it afforded me this, this popularity. So when I, when I started to get on the scene, things began to, to blow up. And the more and more that I got, the more and more that I wanted. And I remember there was times in, in high school that I would just show up to, to football practice because I would see the principal or, or their spouse in a strip club or something, and I could hold them, you know, with that, that guilt over their head and blackmail them. I'd just show up to school uh, for football practice and get straight A's in class and not even be there. Oh, yeah, I thought I was the man. I thought I was invincible. Everything the world told me that was supposed to be successful, I had achieved it. So when I graduated high school, I, I went to college at the University of Memphis, and, and, and I thought that I could continuously get away with things. And, and it was apparent that I was a leader. I always had a following. There were people always following me. And so when I got to the college scene, it just progressed, and I became a pimp. I was selling drugs, but there was a problem. Nothing brought me joy. Nothing was fulfilling. I popped several pills, laid down in hopes that I would never wake up again. A day and a half later, I wake up. Mad at God. How dare you let me live? And I continue on. About a week later, I, I, I get in an altercation with, with, with a junkie, and I get stabbed 17 times. If I take off my shirt, it'll look like I got bit by a shark. I woke up in the hospital in the pool of my own blood. God still allowed me to live. I remember being 21 years old and, and I had my own house. And I had some people come and move in with me. It was a, a couple with, with, with two children. 
a two-year-old and a four-year-old. And during that time, the wife of the couple had a birthday. So all throughout the day, we're celebrating, we're, we're drinking, we're partying hard, we're, we're doing our thing. And, and come nighttime, the women left. They went to the nightclub, and the guys stayed back for a little while, and we were going to meet them at the club a little bit later. We wanted to party a little bit more. And Greg, being the life of the party, oh, man, we were throwing down, throwing back, and, and, and uh, dibbling, dabbling, and all kinds of things that we shouldn't have. And don't you know, when it was time for us to go, I was ready. I was eager. I was the life of the party. This is what I do. It's time to go. I'm in there. All you had to do is mention the sentence, Greg, let's, and I'm already in the car. <laughs> I'm the life of the party. So it was time to go, and I heard this, this strong, stern voice that said, don't go. Don't go. And confused and startled, it, it threw me back. I'm just, don't go. Are you kidding me? This is where I shine. What do you mean, don't go? It was the weirdest thing to me. And so when, when the guys asked me, you know, Greg, you're, you ready to go? I said, no. No, I'm not. They said, why? I said, I'm just not feeling it, man. I'm just not feeling it today. Embarrassed to, to tell them what had really happened. And so they left. I went to my room and I laid down. And that night, I hear my room door being knocked on. And I tried to ignore it, and it just got louder. And then I hear a young lady start calling my name. Hey, Greg, Greg, wake up. Greg, wake up. So I'm like, what in the world is going on, man? What is happening? So I go to my door, and my roommate's sister begins to tell me, with the kids, she's frantic, telling me, hey, hey, Greg, man, when, when the guys left, they, they got on the interstate, and, and they veered off the interstate and ran into a tree, and all of them died. All of them died. And I look at this two-year-old and this four-year-old, and I'm beginning to try and figure out what do I tell them about their father? How do I break this news? How do I get to the wife who's partying for her birthday? How do I get to her and tell her that her husband's gone? What do you do? I was supposed to be with them. I was supposed to be in that car. What is it? Why had God spared my life? And 
he spoke to me that day. And I obeyed him. And it saved my life. It saved my life. And understand with me that, that when God tells us something, it's for our own good. It's to bless us. It's to give us life. It's to sustain us that we begin to grow and get better. The question is, how do we obey when God is telling us something that we, quite frankly, don't like? How do we obey when God is asking us to talk to somebody that we don't like? How do we subside our anger when Jesus tells us to love our enemies? Why is it when someone is gossiping about me and saying all types of things that are wrong that Jesus says, persecute those, pray for those who persecute you? How do you obey God when he's asking you to do something that is completely contrary to your personal vested interests. How do you obey? How do you obey? How do you do it? I'm reminded of a, of a guy um, who had this, this very well thing going on in his life. If you would, turn in your Bibles with me to, to Jonah, Chapter number four. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sinning calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. The prolific writings of Jonah brings to the forefront some interesting and dynamic characters in which Jonah is chief. We meet Jonah down at the port where the boats are docked standing betwixt between two different directions. I bring you to the dock at the port to remind you that in life, you can go many different directions from the same port. And we know that Jonah is God's man. It's quite clear that Jonah is God's man. And there's this, this conflict between my will and God's will. God tells Jonah he needs to go to Nineveh. Jonah 
wants to go to Tarshish. So Jonah is at the port deliberating between my will or God's will, my will or God's will, my will or God's will. He buys a ticket, he gets on the boat, and he heads for Tarshish. And God does not stop him. He gets on the boat, and God does not stop him. And they set sail successfully, and God does not stop him. Warning us that just because you're able to move forward doesn't mean you're right. The silence of God doesn't mean that you have changed his mind. In reality, he's just respecting your right to choose. And when God sees that we choose to do something contrary to what he has told us to do, it's a teaching moment for God. You say, Greg, where do you get that from? In Proverbs it says, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the ends thereof are death. You can start off going well. You can, it, it, it goes well in its, its origin. But in the end, you're not able to tolerate it at its destiny. And Jonah goes off on his boat in his own selection, in his own will, in his own going, in his own thinking. What to God if he would have made us like robots? If he would have programmed us? that we would instinctively do exactly what he would want us to do. But God in his providential wisdom and his grace, he has instilled in us our right to choose. And here lies the problem. Jonah goes off in the boat and everything is going fine. And then a huge storm arises. A chaotic storm. Storm so chaotic that everyone on the boat thinks that they're going to die. Reminding us that when we choose to go in the wrong direction, everybody around us is affected by our poor decisions. And the storm arising is so chaotic that, that they began to get frantic, frantic. The boat begins to shake. And the minute they figured out that there was nothing wrong with the boat, there was nothing wrong with the rudders, there was nothing wrong with the steering mechanisms, there was nothing wrong with, with anything that had to had happen on that boat. But there was one man in the spirit of rebellion that disobeyed God that got that storm to arise. So they grabbed Jonah and tossed him off the boat. And then the wind ceased. Because God said, well, I don't need you no more. And the wind ceased. The storm silent. So God says, okay, I'm done with that storm. I'm going to grab a fish. And, and, and God used this great fish that grabbed Jonah and pulled him down. And this is a familiar place. Jonah in chapter 2 says, out of the belly of the fish I cried. At the bottom of the mountain. The bottom of the mountain. 
bottom of the mountain. Look at the oxymoron between the two extremes. You're at the bottom where the roots are and the mountains peaking. Have you ever been at the bottom of a mountain where you could see where you couldn't go? Where you, you want to get there, but a selection of your own choices brought you into the hell that you're in now. Jonah, swallowed by this fish, gets dropped down to the bottom of the ocean. And this is a hellish situation. Have you ever put yourself in hell? Where everything around you is chaotic. Do not blame the devil for this. Do not curse demons for this. This is not the work of Satan or a witch. This is a sad situation of you having it your way. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the ends thereof is death. And we see Jonah at the bottom of the mountain in the belly of this fish wrestling, wrestling with God, wrestling, wrestling to say yes, wrestling with God's will. And he cries. And the thing about God is he heard him in the hell that he was in. Reminds us that when, when, when things get bad, we can call on God. We can call on God. It said in, in chapter 1, verse 6, that, that Jonah purposed in himself to flee the presence of God. How elementary. How childish. It makes me wonder how God could use someone like that anyway. Anyone in their right mind knows, where would you go to flee the presence of God? God's presence isn't just in Nineveh. God's presence is in Tarshish. God's presence isn't just in right. God's presence is in wrong. God's presence isn't just in the church. God's presence is in the nightclub. David said, if I make my bed in hell, there I'll be. And we see Jonah in a hellish situation, wrestling to say yes to God. And God hears him. And there's something about God and his heartstrings. When you truly repent, when you truly repent, he loves you. And the Bible says that when Jonah repented, it gave that great fish the, a certain type of indigestion where he would regurgitate everything that was inside. And he spits Jonah up, and Jonah goes on into God's will in Nineveh. There he is in Nineveh, finally doing what God's will was. Finally. I mean, first of all, Jonah must have been some kind of preacher to send one man to the city of Nineveh. I mean, we got to understand the, the world history here. Nineveh was a great city. It was an opulent city. 
In King Sennacherib's era, they had waterways and conduits and, and plumbing way ahead of its time. They had set up 50-foot walls surrounding Nineveh. Nineveh was, was progressive. It had economic status. It took three days' journey to walk through Nineveh. Three days later, you still in Nineveh. It was a great city. But more importantly, Nineveh had been a terror to the Hebrew people. Many scholars believe that, that Nineveh's founder was Nimrod, the rebellious one who, who shook his fist at heaven and tried to build, build a tower to God. Does God not know who Nineveh is? Does God not know about the walls in this city? Does God not know what they have done to my people? Does God not know that I don't even like them? Has God ever sent you to talk to somebody that you don't like? What are you going to do when he sends you to speak to someone that you have no personal investment in? Oh, you get quiet now. God is not interested in your agenda. Jesus said it like this, not my will, but thine be done. Jonah didn't want to go because he didn't like Nineveh. And can you imagine the sermon that he preached knowing that he hated Nineveh? God's going to tear the city down. He's going to tear it down. You better repent because he will shut it down. Man, don't you see these wet clothes? You don't want to play with God. He'll shut it down. And here we are in the text that we read. The Ninevites took heed of that message. They applied that message, that obedience, that application led to transformation. And the Ninevites fasted and repent. Even the animals fasted. And they hit the heartstrings of God. You know, the, the irony in the text is Jonah is preaching repentance when he just got through repenting. There's not much difference between the preacher and the pew. There's not much difference through, through, between the one teaching and the one taking the notes. This is not what many people want to tell you. Jonah is preaching to an infected people that are infected by the same thing that he is. The cure, the serum, the vaccination is often made from the same bacteria. That's why there must be some kinship between the redeemer and the redeemed. Jesus left his home 
came down on this earth so that he can relate to you and I. Lived a sinless life. So Nineveh repented. And Jonah goes up on top of a mountain, got him a nice seat where he could see the city. Forty days was his message. It was, it was day 39, and he's looking there. And here comes 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock. And he begins to look at his watch. He wanted them to go. Jonah wanted them to die. He wanted them to die. To the point where he would rather die than help others reach repentance. As we are talking about this application brings transformation. Understand that the biggest spiritual growth that you have will be being obedient in the times where it's not natural. Listening to God, even when it's things that you don't even like. Understand that God will have his way regardless or not. Jonah had a second chance in the belly of the fish. It was a second chance in a hellish situation. Sometimes you say no to God here in the comfort of the church, and your second chance is in the hospital bed. Don't leave here today without being obedient to God's call. Those of us that have been walking with God for a minute, don't leave here today running away from the call that God has put on your life. Imagine a world where all of us chose to be obedient, that all of us set aside our our selfish ambition and pursued the kingdom of God. What would it look like if, if every one of us today has chosen with endurance and and perseverance to, to seek the kingdom of God. How much better would our neighborhood be? How much better would our marriage be? How much better would our parenting be? How much better would this state be, this country be, this world be? If we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, as we apply God's word, he, in turn, will transform our life. Right on? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to open your word. What a blessing it is to hear from the story of Jonah. We're reminded that 
you have everyone's best interest at heart. So, Lord, as we do our core work and grow closer and reflect on you, let the words of our heart, the meditation of our heart and the words of our mouth be acceptable to you. Lord, we need you in every area of our life. So help us obey you. We want to do what's right. And Father, we know we can only do it through your power. And we thank you for all that you've done and what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us at Church Experience Online. Please don't forget to check out the website if you'd like to get more connected, learn more, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially. You're now going to hear a Church Experience Worship original song, and we hope this gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned today.